nearly all students did prefer screencasting to text. A few, a handful did prefer text for more or less reasons like that. Now, uh, one student said, I'm an older student. I think this person was 50 or 60 and said, I'm just, my mind isn't geared towards picking up information out of video like this, like younger people. I grew up, we still read books. So, and I understand that. So some people, it may not, it, you know, it might not work for them. And in that case, you might make a note of that and say, okay, we'll go back to text feedback. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder. And I'm here with John Orlando. It's so great to have John back, such a superstar in online teaching and learning. And if you didn't get a chance to catch part one with John Orlando, please go back and take a listen to that and then join us for this episode, part two. We're excited to jump right back into that conversation. So let's get it going. Another thing is that when doing voice or screencasting feedback, you want to leave what we might call minor writing issues to margin comments. Like in this example, like, you know, the person said two place, two spaces, see page 88 and APA manual, things like that. And for a couple of reasons, one is if you're doing say voice feedback, one for each point, you're going to be turning your speaker on and off and embedding a whole bunch of different files into the work. I'll talk about that in a second. So it just, it real pain to try to do all these little minor points with voice or screencast. The other thing is that these points are better thought of as something that students may want to go back to and look up like you would look up the spelling of a word in a dictionary. And so you're trying to remember now, okay, I got dinged on the wrong form of there last time. Okay. What what did I do? You know, so they want to kind of pull up their assignment and quickly go to wherever they use the wrong form of there and look it up. If you embed that kind of stuff into either like a long voice comment, a single voice comment, which is what you should do. You should really only have one voice comment, one screencast per assignment. Then they have to scroll through all that to find it, okay? So what I tell faculty is that your voice or your screencast comments are really for summary comments and they're the ones where you really teach the student where you find a certain number of themes and you talk to the student about major issues and and how to fix them and give them directives to move forward so they serve as what i call summary comments that's what really the purpose margin comments kind of still say margin comments. That's where you might either point out, and you'll see in the example, I'll show places in the assignment where your general themes that you gave in the voice comments, screencasting comments play out, or minor writing issues. So that's how the two work together. And again, I think you'll see this when I give an example. Another thing you wanna do 
is limit the number of directives that you give students. Now, here's one problem that we as faculty have is that when a student's assignment has 50 different problems, we want to list all the different problems. And that's natural. And you should grade down for anything that, you know, would be a downgradable issue, right? Spelling errors and stuff like that. But when it comes to teaching students to improve, it doesn't help them to give 50 different points because they can't remember 50 different points. If I gave you 50 different numbers to remember, what's the chance you're gonna remember all 50? You'll remember maybe the first three or more likely the last three, and that's it. So when a faculty member says, you know, I give them all this feedback and they only implement, you know, like a third of it. Well, when you give them 50 points and they implement a third of it, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> that's probably better than I could do, right? Because it's just, we have limited cognitive capacity. And here again, I go back to think like a coach. And here's an example. There is a series called Hard Knocks where they follow an NFL team in the preseason. And in one episode, they showed a rookie running back speaking to his running back coach. So the coach says to running back, what one thing are we going to work on today? And the running back said, ball control. And the coach said, okay, today we're going to work on ball control. Now, that's interesting because think about as a rookie, he's got 50, maybe 100 things to learn. He's got all the plays to learn, steps, and you know, on and on and on. But I'm not going to tell them, I want you to work on this, 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 this. No, we're going to have you learn incrementally. Today, you're going to work on ball control. You're going to focus on that. Then we're going to see if we've moved the needle. Have we improved? Once we can feel like we've got you to a point, you're you know, holding them more correctly, you're, you're not fumbling. Next, we'll move to the next thing. That's how a coach teaches. And that's what we really need to improve. We have to focus on really one or maybe two, most three things at a time. And that's a, and that's a mistake that we sometimes make as faculty members, giving students too much to think about. Another quick example, by the way, I'm from Wisconsin, uh, which is literally the bowling capital of the world. It calls itself the bowling capital world. And everyone bowls, and I mean everyone. So growing up, I was actually a decent junior bowler. I was head of some of my leagues, but my mom decided to bring me to a pro bowler to learn a little more. And I don't know if I was sixth grade or something like that. And she looked at me and said, you're looking at the wrong spot. You're looking at the pins. You need to look at the arrows. And she said, until you're, you're going to plateau at a certain level until you change your look, you got to look at the arrows. And once you know about bowling, you realize, yeah, there's, you have to eat. So anyway, so she said, look at the arrows. Okay, I want you to point and find an arrow that you're targeting. So, you know, found an arrow targeting. I proceeded to throw 13 straight gutters. And I said to her, you know, this isn't working. I'm throwing gutters. And she replied, I don't care. I want you to focus on hitting the arrows. That's all I care about. That's what we're going to work on. Once you start hitting the arrows, we're going to work on the next step. Okay. So I don't care if you keep dropping gutters. I care about you hitting the arrows now because that's what you have to learn. And that's really, really important. This is, again, an interesting point to think about is the difference between a grader and a teacher. A grader would look and say, you threw 13 gutters, again, F, go back to doing what we were doing before. A teacher says, you're never going to improve until you do this. So focus on doing that. 
Now in academia, normally our advice doesn't lead to the student, you know, some air part of their writing going to hell like that. It's kind of an extreme example. But the point is that a good teacher focuses on one thing and that's what you should do in your summary comment, voice or text screen back feedback. Now, as far as giving screencasting feedback, now, your learning management system probably has a system built in now that's relatively recently it used to be they didn't. If not, you can do it using a cloud system like Vocaroo, like this. Uh, Vocaroo is a free website. You simply go to this website, click a big red arrow, record yourself, click stop. And then you could either download it as a voice file to send to the students. You could usually do that in a learning management system with the assignment because they're not that long. I think a voice file is maybe one megabyte per minute. And these should only be maybe five, 10 minutes. Or you can just copy a link, send it to a link for them to play themselves. Okay, so that's one way of doing it if it's not already built into your learning management system. As far as screencasting, Unfortunately, few learning management systems, in fact, I don't know of any, have screencasting built in. Now, you may have to go and find out if they can do a plug-in, Kaltura, you know, in fact, even Kaltura, most people don't use it for screencasting. If not, you can go to an outside place like uh, Screencast-O-Matic. That's sort of my favorite. That's one of the first biggies, and I think it's still great, but there are other ones out there. They're on a freemium subscription where you can get uh, certain functions for free, but then if you use it a lot, you have to pay more. But the cost to pay more is actually very, very low, uh, surprisingly low, by the way, for the premium. But then what you do is go to a website it, and you start recording your screen with your voice. And there, instead of trying to send them the actual video, you always want to send them the text link for them to play themselves because the video file will be too big. I mean, it's probably going to choke your learning management system. And if it doesn't, it's going to take forever to download. So videos just are too big. Video files are too big to transfer like voice files. So in that case, I would always go with giving them a link to play themselves. Now with that, let's go through an example here. And I'm going to start and stop this every once in a while to make some points. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you very much for your work. I want to give you an overview of how you did. Now, one thing you notice again, my face is up there in the top right. It doesn't have to be. I think it's kind of nice to put your face up there. If you don't want it, that's okay. You know, it's not critical. The only thing to keep in mind is that when you record, very often default when you record both your webcam and a screencast, some for some reason the default is sometimes they put the webcam view right in the center of the screencast in which case it's going to cover up what you're talking about so that what you can do is at the end you actually tell the system to move it to the side you just drag and drop so that's the only thing to keep in mind so you can do that if you'd like now you chose a very good topic nike's employment of children and low-paying workers in other countries is a very big topic in business ethics and you did a really good job of explaining that situation but you had a few issues that i want to go over by the way one brief thing you notice at the beginning i say you did a few couple things really well when you give feedback there is both positive and negative and those shouldn't be thought of as normatively laden terms in the sense that positive is just 
what the student did well. Negative is what they did not do well. Okay. So a lot of times we leave out positive feedback because uh, we want to focus on what they didn't do well. And it, yes, you should focus on what someone didn't do well because that's where they need to improve. But don't completely forget about the positive feedback in terms of explaining what they did well. Because if you don't explain what they did well, they may stop doing what they're doing well. Right? If you're only talking about what they did not do well and they focus on that, they may get sloppy with what they are doing well. So I anyway, just start by saying, okay, this is what you're doing well. You know, this is, you got that nailed, keep up, the, you know, keep it up. But now let's talk about your issues. Your first issue is that you tend to drop discussions within other discussions that actually don't pertain to the larger discussion. And I'll show you what you mean, what I mean by this. In your introductory paragraph, you start very good. You start, you say globalization has benefited many businesses. However, it raises ethical issues, which is great. And then you drop this little sentence fragment. Two countries may be contrasted as developed or undeveloped. And then you just keep going. Well, that's out of context. Uh, it didn't really fit in with your discussion. I can see it fitting in. I can see you saying uh, developed countries tend to exploit labor in undeveloped countries, but that context needs to be included. And then if you're going to do that, it really needs to be somewhere other than the introduction, really maybe later in the discussion of Nike. So this sentence fragment that's unexplained really detracts from the main thrust of what your paragraph is doing. Same thing down here. You do it again in discussing Nike. Here you say that their CEO has said that their marketing strategy is to focus on celebrity endorsements. That's true, but note that's independent of the question of who's making their shoes, right? Their uh, uh, labor uh, policies. So once again, you have this little side detour within another discussion and that confuses your reader. So make sure that your discussions always advance your point. Your, your point here is obviously ethical issues with Nike's labor policies. So make sure everything feeds into that. Don't, don't get into side, uh, side tracks. So that's one issue I note. So you see, I'm giving her a general theme to work on, okay? So she has a tendency to uh, go off topic a little bit. So it's a bit like that coach saying, we're gonna work on ball control. Okay, so I wanna work, let's work on that. Let's see if the next assignment is better. And they can see, okay, did she do better on the next assignment? And I can say, good, good, you did better. You didn't go off track, perfect. Or next assignment, okay, you did go off track one more time here, see how you went off track. So let's talk about, maybe you didn't quite understand my directive here or something like that. Okay, so you can see how that's a theme and it appears at a couple places. And by the way, I think you noticed that I have the margin comments, but what, what I do is I highlight in yellow those comments that pertain to what I'm gonna talk about in my screencasting feedback. So that just kind of alerts me as I'm scrolling down that, oh, that's the spot. It makes it a little easier for me. So that's something you can think of doing. The other issue was that when it came to a point of talking about the stakeholder and shareholder positions, the job was to say how they would differ in their analysis of the situation. But you didn't do that. You actually uh, handled them as a single unit. When you introduce a discussion up here, you say, 
that this author noted that Nike's stakeholders and shareholders tried their best to handle the situation. So you constantly handle them as one unit. But the point was to show how the two theories differed in their view of different uh, of ethical issues. So here's what you would have done in this case. You would have first said that the shareholder position is that the uh, company's manager is obligated to only advance or maximize the profits for shareholders. That position would say that it's okay for Nike to hire underpaid laborers overseas if it maximizes profits, which it presumably does. So the shareholder position would actually favor what uh, Nike was doing. By contrast, the stakeholder position says that corporate manager has duties to all the people who have a stake in the company, and that includes employees, customers, the community, and things like that. Now that widens responsibility, and a stakeholder theorist would likely say that the company's mistreating employees exploiting maybe other countries and thus not considering the needs of that stakeholder. So that'd be an example of how you contrast them. And that was simply missing. So here's another point I want to make. Note how much feedback I gave there. Now, you probably would not see that in a margin comment. In a margin comment, you'd probably say, these are different and move on. They, okay, they're different. You know, that doesn't help the student. So you have an opportunity when you see they misunderstand something. In this case, that the stakeholder and shareholder theories are different theories that can take different viewpoints on the same situation. They misunderstood it. So I'm going to start teaching. I'll explain it. Again, just like if they were sitting next to you in your office. So I'll explain how they differ and how you should have applied it. Now, this is important because this is where the teaching comes in. Again, explaining how you should have done it, how to fix it is like a coach saying, you're throwing the ball wrong. You should throw the ball this way. Are you swinging your bat wrong? You should swing the bat this way. That's the teaching. Telling them you did it wrong isn't teaching, right? But telling them here's how to do it right is the teaching. The other thing is that some faculty say, oh, no, I'm writing the exam for them or, or something like that. No, no, no. If a coach explains and shows a player the proper way to swing a bat, they're not playing the game for them. They're being a good coach. That's what they're supposed to do. So I explain exactly what they should do. And in fact, I have a policy that students can always rewrite and resubmit work if they want. And I have found that they almost always do when they get screencasting feedback and they rarely do when it comes in text. And I think that's interesting because it's like it clicks in their mind when they get screencasting feedback and maybe it motivates them too. And yeah, I want them to apply what I said, you know, you should have done this, you should have done this and I'll, I'll up the grade because they learned, they got it right. And I'm not, you know, oh, they got it right for me. Well, I'm supposed to be a teacher. That's my job. It says so, right? Of course, that's my job is to explain how to do it right. And, and plus, they still have to put pen to paper, so to speak, and, and work it out and think about it. They're going to learn from that. So my point is that here, it's a content issue that I'm helping them with. Okay, so they've misunderstood a piece of content. I'm going to use that to I use this as an opportunity to do some teaching. They miss something in face-to-face -face class. They miss something online. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to fill in that gap. The prior one was more of a general writing 
skills issue that would presumably apply to probably any class they're in. This is a content of the class issue. So we can, you know, obviously do feedback on both of those. Finally, you have a tendency to use the wrong words in your work. And I noted those in the margin comments. So as you work with the Academic Success Center, and I certainly hope you are working with them, the tutors, um, note that this wrong word issue is kind of your major issue from what I can see. And they, hopefully they can help you on that. Thank you very much. Let me know if you have any questions. Bye. You see at the end, I left them with a directive about writing. And what I said is that this is a, a common problem you have, and I've noted it at numerous points in your essay. Okay. So uh, that's really a good way of using margin comments to support summary comments. Okay. You have this problem with wrong words. And you'll see all the different examples in the margins, and they can go down the examples. And then I've also given them some help. So I said, if you go to the, I think it's called Academic Success Center uh, at the college I was working at, said like my instructor has identified this problem of wrong words. That's exactly what those coaches want, those tutors want, because then they can say, okay, now we're going to focus on this, rather than my uh, teacher just says my writing shoddy. It's much better to just say, this is what we want you to, you know, this is the big thing to work on here. And I gave her, you know, the other major issue, of course, is di uh, diverging, going sideways and stuff like that. So that's important as well. With that, I'm going to stop now and see if we have any questions, any thoughts or comments. So thank you very much. Okay. We've got three questions here so far. The first one says, if you could provide the citation for the study, it was really early on, so maybe we can do this in the chat or right after. Very opening slide with feedback as the greatest impact on learning. We'll come back to that. Okay, by the way, I think that's Jay Teague. I'll have to take a look. But anyways, Jay okay. Teague really wrote the book, him and Grant Wiggins on feedback. Those are two big names. Um, another one here we have from Bart Bruhler. Um, as I started using video feedback, I asked students what they thought about it. And a persistent minority report was that some students found video feedback harder to act on than written because they would forget exactly what I said and would have to watch the video multiple times or jump into different yeah. parts. Is there a way to assist with this challenge? Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. In my study that I did, most students, in fact, nearly all students did prefer screencasting to text. A few, a handful did prefer text for more or less reasons like that. Now, uh, one student said, I'm an older student. I think this person was 50 or 60 and said, I'm just, my mind isn't geared towards picking up information out of video like this, like younger people. I grew up, we still read books. So, and I understand that. So some people, it may not, it, you know, it might not work for them. And in that case, you might make a note of that and say, okay, we'll go back to text feedback. So to some extent, it might be students. Now, there's only a small percentage where I've seen that. The other thing is that if they're saying they have to go, go back, my suggestion would be to look at the feedback and see to what extent you may be covering too many topics. Note, there were three topics in the, the feedback I gave, two major one, and then more or less minor one as far as the wrong word. In fact, she doesn't have to go back and find that. You know, It's just written in the assignment. So it's really only 
two things that would really she would want to go back and look at. So there's really only two major points. And I think students felt like, okay, I can remember those two major points. And again, if they, you know, they want probably, hopefully they would go back through the video again before they made the revisions. That's what you want them to do, right? The feedback is fresh in their mind. But if they say that they kind of lose track of you along the way and have to rewatch it because I lost track of you, I would suggest taking a look at how many different comments you're making. And I would suggest that you reduce those, partly because uh, what literally happens is our working memory, which is our immediate memory that we use for our immediate tasks, actually holds very few items. It's been said it's either four or five, depending on the study. So when you cover more than those items, literally, when a new item comes in, an old item has to fall out, literally. So if you cover, eight items in a screencasting feedback, quite literally a human brain is only going to retain, you know, five of them, maybe the last five, maybe the first five, you know, probably a random five. So quite literally their mind, it's like limited RAM, like when you overload your RAM or something. So that, that's a reason to really limit your directives. That's what I would look at as a potential culprit there. Thanks, John. And uh, just one more here as of right now. And it says, the example that you provide uses a combination of both written and video feedback. Mm -hmm. I caught then that the video feedback is focused on a few key themes that students can improve on. What then do you put in written comments? And also, does this seem like doubling the work or does it save time? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So a couple of things. As far as the written comments versus the screencasting feedback, there's really two types. One is what I would consider what I call minor writing issues, wrong word, grammar issues, things like that. And two is points which illustrate a main point that I made in the video. So in the example where I said wrong word, which again is a writing issue, but you know, I said this, this is another example of wrong word. But better example is the first one, I think, where I said, you have a tendency to do digressions. And I gave two examples, and I think there were more. I think there was like four or five. So in the text comments would be something like, and I think if you go back in the video, you actually see it. Here's another spot where you digressed. So they can go down and see, oh, here's another digression. Okay, I can mm -hmm. hopefully the video makes them understand what a digression is, why it's a problem. And then they can find those examples. So that's two. One is examples that illustrate the general comments, and two is minor writing issues. As two, as far as time goes, you know, whereas voice comments do have been proved to save time, I'm not sure you're going to save time with screencast feedback. And I haven't really, there's kind of two ways to think about it. One is it takes a little more time to set up the screencast, to hit the save button, to copy a link and stuff like that. The other thing is, I think a lot of it is just you want to talk more. You just want to talk more because you're in a mind of, I'm going to help. I'm here to help. I'm going to give you the information you need. And for that reason, it is more time consuming. In fact, one faculty member, I've taught this to numerous faculty members, including those who have worked directly under me. And one shocked me. She created a screencast. I'm not making this up. That was an hour and a half long for one student's assignment. An hour and a half. That's like a feature movie. And that's a screencast on an assignment. I said, you know, no way, you're going way overboard here, way overboard. So, you know, that's an illustration of how you can get carried away. 
even, you know, I'd limit them to five to 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. It probably is going to add a little more time to your teaching. But I really enjoy the fact that I get to see students get excited. They go back, they make the changes, they learn. And that's what what's it's all about. So, yeah, I would say that it probably does add a little more time. Thank you. And I um, probably shouldn't ask you this with like a minute remaining, but if we go over just a hair, that's okay. We have one more question and that's, could you briefly comment on the differences in feedback for graduate versus undergraduate students? Oh, you know, that's interesting. That's interesting. I have not looked at that. My study was of actually graduate students, although my own personal work was with undergrads. So, you know, I have to say, that's an interesting question. So the question is one, I mean, is the type of feedback you give in general different for graduate versus undergrad? And and then maybe two, would this work differently for grad and undergrad? Those are two very, very interesting questions. I think clearly the type of feedback you give to a grad is different from an undergrad because clearly, you know, the expectation is they're above that level. You can speak higher to a grad student than an undergrad. And of course, usually with a grad student, especially in a PhD program, you're kind of preparing them to be a teacher mostly. So you're kind of, you know, you're talking about well, if you're going to publish this as an article, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, I think it's clear you give a different type of feedback as far as actually how that plays out and voice and screencasting, that's a very interesting question. That sounds like a research topic. It sounds like a topic worth going out and doing a study on. So if you're looking for a, a research topic for a study, that would be interesting. Comparing voice and screencasting feedback to undergrads versus graduate students, which I can't recall a study that did that. So very good question. Well, I can see who asked the question. So we will task them with finding the <laughs> yes. answer. Yes, <laughs> we expect you to see, we expect to see one from you. Well, thank you so much, John. It's been great to have you here. We're going to link to the various resources that John shared about, including some of the colleagues in the field that have published on feedback. So not just John's work, but others as well. We're going to link to the teaching professor, which is where John publishes and edits as well. And we have one more webinar remaining. Listen to our podcast, Digital to Learn, on your favorite podcast provider. Um, continue to check back on our website, digitaltolearn.com, for additional ways to plug in with our team's professional development for Indiana Wesleyan University and faculty beyond. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, Give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.